Welcome to Unmasking the Feminine. I'm Rachel Tolbert. My guest today is Joe Hodson, who is a coach, a designer, and also works for a mental health charity. Most of her work has been working in the wellness field, helping businesses to share their mission with the world, which I know is something a lot of wellness practitioners struggle with. But I'm really curious to hear about her journey and how she got interested in health and well-being whilst building her own business. She's also just recently spent at least 12 months in a van driving around the UK. And I'm curious what made her do it and what the experience was. So we're going to talk about lots of different things today. So jo, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. And I, I'm smiling as I'm speaking because it's so funny hearing someone else introduce you and how and how how other people perceive me. I just I find that fascinating. So yeah, I really, I really quite enjoyed that. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Well, I am because I heard you speak recently um, at a festival and I was like, oh, she's interesting. That's why we're here today. So um, I'm very, very curious to hear a little bit about your life. So if we sort of go back to the beginning. I really like to know a little bit about your childhood and how you grew up and what shaped you in the early years of life. Because I think often the events that happen when we're little make quite a big difference to the life we then go on to lead. So mm. are you, Joe? <laughs> Mm, yeah so so when I was younger I always had a lot of energy um it, it ADHD wasn't a thing back in the 80s um uh, or early 90s really so I just had a lot of energy and in my mum's words you were hard work <laughs> um so I was constantly being taken to all these different extracurricular events like you know this class and trying this and just all the things to try and get rid of some of this excess energy and you know part of me thinks that's whilst that was a beautiful thing it was also very frustrating because I, I didn't know how to channel it I didn't know what to do with that and I I think there was a lot of frustration because I, I felt as I was quite a disruptive child in my home environment and I was an angel at school but then this what felt like this monster at home and I couldn't understand why I couldn't understand why I couldn't seem to control this incessant energy and I don't think I realized how much that had shaped me how much almost guilt and shame that that it's only really in the mo- in more recent years in the last probably two to five years I've been working through a lot of that because I I felt I felt like I ruined a lot of family outings and family holidays with this with these tantrums and with this with this energy that I didn't know what to do with and my parents never really had any support around how to handle that so it was sort of we just muddled through and I think I probably remember it very differently to what my my brother and sisters so I'm the oldest of of three and I don't think they have these bad memories at all, but I have this almost disproportionate um, memory of what I was like in their in their world. So that's been a really interesting part of growing up. And I had this during school. I had quite an interesting balance of I was always very creative. That's always been my life force. I was lucky insofar as I was also academic and the school system very much prioritizes academia. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, again, I had this constant thing of, I knew I needed to follow a creative route, but there, I'd be disappointing everybody by doing so. Though my parents were very supportive of whatever I wanted to follow, but the look on my teacher's faces when they handed me my A-level results, and I think I got the highest grades in the school, but then I wanted to go off to art college. And you could just see the disappointment. And that's something I've always struggled with, this fear of disappointing people or letting people down or, you know, the imposter syndrome, all all that kind of stuff has been a huge part of, I guess, my adult life. But but coming from childhood, when I just have this feeling that, you know, if someone spends too long in my company, they're going to find out that I'm really this horrible person underneath. So there's, yeah, some strange dynamics going on in that respect not understanding myself at all there's a lot of things we could talk about from that I'm going we could go this way we could go this way but the first thing that really struck me was the being a bright kid and not Mm. to use academia Mm. it's particularly Mm. I think if you're a girl and you're bright Mm. I know I'm older than you but it was like you have to go to university because yes yeah 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 and and I think I I think what's interesting is that and this is something I didn't even realize until probably the last couple of years is that I went to uni and I did interior design and architecture and then I, then I got a job in an architectural practice and I think the reason I got a job in architecture was because it was almost a valid way of doing something creative because architecture has status and prestige and it you know it looks good on paper 
but it's also creative. So it was kind of like, okay, I'm doing a creative thing, but I'll I'll make sure I keep everyone else happy at the same time because it's at least a, a proper thing, a proper career. Uh, and it was never my calling in life. It was never my thing. And it's only very much in hindsight that I realized that's why I made that choice. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that's so fascinating that I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't a conscious choice. I didn't realize I was making the decision to go into architecture. Um, you know, I, I thought it was what I wanted to do, but it, yeah. And I, and I sort of think to myself, I wonder what, what decisions I would have made instead if I had realized what was playing out. Maybe I wouldn't have made a different decision. I don't regret it. Um, but it is quite interesting looking back to see how I found a way to marry the two. And it's interesting, isn't it, how you get to 17, 18 and you're expected to know what you want to do. Mm. And then your decision is shaped by people who are a whole generation older than mm. you. Mm. And the world is so different from the world they grew up in. Because mm. I think mm. every decade, sort of 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, there have actually been big shifts in the job yeah. market through every single decade. Yeah, and, and this is the thing as well. One of the things I've I've had conversations with people recently about about this is that you know when teachers at school or even in job interviews say, you know, where do you see yourself in five years' time? I always struggled with that because, well, I've got no idea who I'll be in a five years' time. I can barely think if I'll be in a year's time. I mean, you talked about you know the me taking at least twelve months out to travel around on my van. I know full well that I'm a different person to who I was at the beginning of this year. Goodness knows where I'll be in five years' time or who I'll be or, or as you just said, what, where the world will be. Mm-hmm. It's, I just find it an impossible thing to begin to answer where I want to be in a five years' time. And I think I've always struggled with that. And then, again, giving myself a hard time for not having answers that I feel as though I should have. So I think a lot of it I kind of masked and, you know, I, I, I gave answers that I thought were people wanted to hear, um, but I never really felt it. I never really felt what it was I was saying I wanted because I, it's impossible for me to feel that far ahead. I, I don't have that sense of time. I don't have a linear sense of time in my mind. I kind of, it's either here or it's in the future. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, it just, it's just interesting because I, I think it, it's a common thing to say, where do you see yourself in a year or, or five years? I don't know why five years is always a thing in interviews, but it always was. And, yeah, still yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't have that. <laughs> So you did your degree in mm. architecture. Yeah, interior design and architecture, yeah. And then yeah. you went and got a job, which is so you yeah, did so, you right by this point. You've like ticked so, another box. Yeah, and I was very lucky actually because in, in the design industry, and I imagine all sorts of other industries, but I, I've only got experience in the design industry, it's it's not that easy to get, you know, to find a job. And a load of people in my, uh, in my, in my year um, really struggled and they didn't find jobs. And I was lucky in that that summer, I, w- I did find a job in architectural practice and I stayed there for the following eight and a half years. So really, I've only have ever had one proper job um, off the back of uni. Obviously, there's little bits and pieces, you know, when you were at college and uni, but that's not proper jobs. Um, and if I'm honest, I probably stayed there for a lot longer than I should have done because it was it was very easy to. And I think also the reason I ended up staying there so long was because I kept telling myself, well, I won't leave until something else presents itself until I have something else to go to you know it would be silly to leave before I have something else obvious I would want to go to but when you're in a job that is taking so much of your physical and mental energy like you know sort of 50 60 hour weeks um I had no no capacity to actually work out what else it was I would want to do so I was in this strange limbo probably for a number of years of you know, waiting to see where this magical thing materialized that would tell me what I wanted to do next, but not actually having any time or space to work out what there was. And the big shift came in 2012, coming up towards the end of 2012. So the year prior to that, I'd met a guy um, who I was in a relationship with for a year. He had Asperger's. So he, his view of the world was unlike Anybody. You are cracking mm. like crazy. I'm wondering if we should lose the ear, the earpiece. Can do. Yeah. Just um, let's, let's see what that sounds like. Start again. You met this guy. Yeah. Okay. That's better. I see. So yeah, I met this guy, 2011, um, who had Asperger's, and so his view of the world was entirely different to anybody I ever knew. Um, 
and I'd never really given myself permission to question things outside the norms whereas that's how he lived his life he couldn't live within the box whereas I'd always tried to fit myself within the box so hard and so that was very much um a permission giving of of me beginning to understand my gosh I can do things on my own terms in my own way and even though I had no idea what I was going to go to go to next that was the point at which I I made the leap. So coming up towards the end of 2012, I realized if I was still in that career in January, probably there another year and another year and another year. And that was the pivot point in, in it became more scary to stay knowing that I was just coasting along a neutral, that I was just plodding through my life. I was kind of coming up towards 30 at that point. Um, so it seemed quite a pivotal, you know, the, the fear of staying there for the rest of my life was just so scary because I knew I was just coasting along in this very mediocre existence and I had to give the month's notice and so the idea of of leaving even though I had nothing really to go to at that point was less scary than staying so that was that was what made me take the leap so January 2013 was when I when I kind of stepped off the precipice as such um, I was just doing kind of little odd jobs. I was helping out on a desk at a gym for a few hours a week and helping do some marketing at a chiropractic clinic. Um, but also a big part of this story when I was with this guy, he was vegan. And that was when I made that switch to being plant-based. And I think that was a really big part of my own personal development, Jelly, because when you question something that so fundamental is what you put on your plate, something I'd never questioned before, you know, you just meat and two veg it's just it's it's a thing you just you just taught this is this is how things this is what protein is it's I'd never once questioned it and then once that question had been opened in my mind something so fundamental the ripple effect was that I started questioning everything else that I thought I knew but realized wasn't truth things I thought were fact but just weren't fact they were opinions and preferences so that was kind of almost when the veil lifted and I was like, whoa, hang on a minute. Like, what is my life? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, 2013 was a, a, a pivotal year because it was it was the unraveling of, of everything I thought I was. So it was a very difficult process in many ways. And it, yeah, I guess between then and now. So what was that? Eight, nine years. Um it's been this long, slow journey in, in finding who I am and and giving myself permission to be that person. Mm-hmm. And it has been a, a slow unfolding because y- y- you sort of unravel one layer, get familiar with that, figure out what that means, and then something else presents itself. And it's this, this ongoing journey. I remember I started working with a coach quite shortly after that. And I clearly remember during one session saying to her, I just wish I could wake up one morning and not feel scared because everything was just so hard and heavy. And I just wanted things to be simple. I wanted to go back to that kind of naive existence. Um, but obviously, like once your mind's been expanded, it doesn't go back to its old dimensions. Yeah. So that was that time of my life. Um, and I'm 39 now. So it would have been around about my sort of threshold of, of going into my 30s was just so huge and transformative. So let me just pull you back a little bit into mm. plant-based because it's a question that comes up for a lot of people on a spiritual path. Yeah. But I'm just mm. curious about, I guess I'm most curious about your experience of it and how how it changed you and how it affected you. And was it easy, yeah. and, you know? It was interesting because the, so the guys with at the time had a very ethical sort of perspective on it mm-hmm. um, and was really trying to sort of push that on me. And I was really sort of rebelling against that I didn't want to be forced to see something from someone's perspective that you know I hadn't come to off my own of my own accord but what was interesting was the more time I spent with him and he only lived sort of around the corner from where I had been living um, with my mum so I sort of very quickly spent a lot of time with him so therefore very quickly was eating meals with him and within about six months I was probably 80 percent maybe 85 90 percent plant-based because most of my meals I was eating with him and there was the most interesting thing was, well, number one, I call myself an accidental vegan because it hadn't been a plan. It just sort of naturally kind of happened because I met, I enjoyed making the meals for him. And I really did enjoy exploring different ways of cooking. I enjoyed having 
like a limited palette to choose from. It made me more creative. And what was interesting as well is I was probably eating more variety of food because I was being so experimental than when I had all the food ingredients to choose from because we get stuck in a rut. We eat the same meals all the time was because I was being forced to see, do things in new ways and, um, you know, come at things from different angles. I was actually probably more creative and I ate a wider range of foods when I had less to choose from. So that was quite ironic, but because I, I didn't sort of um, force myself into it. There was no point at which I said, oh, I can't eat this anymore. It, it, it took away all that, I don't know, all those cravings, I guess, in many ways, because it just sort of evolved. I think I was quite lucky as well as I never really liked, I never really liked seafood. I never really liked anything that was kind of googly. Um, I was quite a basic meat eater. And so in that respect, it was very easy, even cheese, you know, I was like, okay, a bit of cheddar, that's great. But I was never into kind of all the all the posh cheeses and things. So I, I think in many ways, I was almost like a a natural vegan and that it just it wasn't hard to give up a lot of the things and because I didn't put myself under any pressure to do that it, it yeah it naturally evolved quite quickly but I think also one of the things I noticed was my my energy levels and just my yeah most of my energy levels everything really improved I mean I'd never been overweight or anything like that but my body shape definitely changed and I was bouncing out of bed at half past five in the morning. And, you know, I was and, but back then as well. This is 10 years ago. So back then there wasn't really any of these vegan junk foods around. So I was eating a very healthy plant based diet, um, which I think does make a difference. And that, yeah, there wasn't you couldn't if you went to a restaurant, you could barely get a main meal. You know, there's no desserts or anything available. So there wasn't all those temptations that there are now. So it's very easy to eat a very healthy vegan diet. Um, and I think that made a big difference. So before long. I was thinking to myself, gosh, you know, I think he's got a point here. Like I'm feeling a lot better. I'm really enjoying this process. I mean, I'm enjoying cooking for us both. So I found my own way into it through very much the health side of things. Like it's not like I was ignoring the ethics, but that wasn't my way into it. I needed to find my own, my own way and my own reason and my own sort of foundation as to what plant-based meant for me, which is why I prefer to use the word plant-based to vegan. Um, and it, that was also when I began my blog. So I'd, I'd always loved design. Um, I was kind of moving away from architecture career. I knew that wasn't my thing. I hadn't quite left at that point, but I needed this thing on the side to pour some of my kind of energy and time into. So I was reading a lot of the blogs online. There wasn't nearly as many as there are now, the food blogs and things. So I set up a blog and I started sharing my recipes and really got into that, got into the food photography, started developing recipes for other brands. And that was just a really fun side hustle. And that actually was what the thing that in the end showed me, even though I didn't have, it wasn't making any money at that point, but I knew I had a passion around the wellness and the food and the nutrition, the creativity around that way of thinking and the, and the ripple effect into my own spiritual journey in a way. I knew that was where I wanted to put my energy. So even though it wasn't an obvious career path at that point, that was my kind of reasoning for leaving architecture. I gave myself a bit of a ultimatum, you know, make this work in six months or go back and get a proper job. <laughs> that was the kind of the reasoning I gave myself when I left architecture in January, 2013, make, make this wellness stuff work. Um, and I mean, I would say, you know, I never look back, which is a very flippant thing to say, but that was very much the beginning of, of everything I am now, basically. So you've got your blog. And you're really mm. enjoying it, obviously. You mm. blog the recipe blog. Yeah. Brilliant. So you're publishing once a week, twice a week? I think at first it was probably two or three times a week. So I was, I, I didn't really, other than work, I, that was where I was pouring all my energy. And I'm a, I tend to be a bit all or nothing when something catches my attention, particularly at the beginning where the novelty's there. I'm like, Whoom. so literally I was just, I was on it all the time, always exploring recipes, you know, sharing another one, enjoying getting good at food photography. So yeah, it was it was quite full on in the beginning. Um, just as a little hobby, I hadn't monetized it. Um, so yeah. And was that the first thing you did? As in monetize it, or did you get a different proper job? Uh, I you know I never I never really monetized the blog, and I think a couple of reasons. One, it when if that in itself became like an income, I was I guess I was worried it would it would take its it's it would put pressure into it and it would take kind of the the free 
enjoyment from it. But I was developing recipes for another brand who actually I still work with today. Um, um, so I was doing, yeah, I was, I was developing recipes for their platform and I was doing some food photography and doing sort of one-off gigs here and there for other, other brands for their, for their platforms rather than kind of monetizing my own. I think it was also because I didn't want loads of pop-up ads and things. And I basically didn't want to spoil the look of my lovely little blog with, with ads and stuff. And, and that was mostly what it was at that time back then. There wasn't really sponsored posts that are a little bit more slick. It was all kind of pop-ups and, and, you know, paid per click and all that lot. And I said, I don't, I don't want that. I don't want that. But this, uh, simultaneously with when I left architecture, one of the things I decided to do was train up to be a health coach. So I did a, a year's um, certification to qualify as a health coach. Um, and kind of my speciality was, was plant-based because that's what I was obviously really into. And I was really enjoying the science behind it as well as the creativity. So that was also the, what then became an income source for a period of time um until the point at which i realized i love the creativity but actually it's more about the personal development journey that 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 kind of could lead someone on which is what my journey was rather than the sort of the mm, sciencey side of it as such you know the nutrition side of it and i was like ah i'm feeling kind of i want to be moving more into the the personal development rather than just just looking at food and someone coming to me and saying oh I've been diagnosed with a milk intolerance what can I eat and because that wasn't exciting me you know I could give that information but it wasn't lighting me up so so that was when I began shifting again I, I was really and I enjoyed writing I've always enjoyed writing even though I hadn't really considered myself a writer I was enjoying the blogging so then I moved into not just writing my recipes you know writing about my own journey and there was a way to just process my own thinking as well. I've always processed my thoughts through writing. So it, it began to evolve very slowly, I guess, um, in an unstructured way. Organically. Yeah. 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 I'm not still doing a lot of recipe stuff and um, I set up a food business and um, I was selling um, like these sweet sprinkle toppers and, and so I was doing a lot of food related things, but it was moving away from, specifically health coaching uh, and that was when also I began to get into the sort of website design stuff because I'd done on my own website I'd done on my own ebook illustrations and all these various bits and pieces and so I had a lot of friends saying like yoga teachers and pilates teachers and things and because I was I've always been into fitness so I had a lot of health and wellness friends in my circles and um, I was getting a lot of questions people were saying well who, do, who does your website and I was like well it's me you know and they were like, oh, you know can you design mine so um, after doing a couple of them sort of mates rates, I thought, well, I'm, I would probably do with making this official because it's, it's much easier to charge people if I've got an official, you know, website or, you know, service to show people. So that's how that then came about through just through evolving my own uh, service. I then began creating websites for other people's. Nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know you'd already said that when you left your architecture firm, you did a couple of weeks work in a chiropractic office. Yeah. Helping them to promote. So you had a little tiny bit of experience. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah. So, I mean, even when I was in architecture, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of design work, a lot of, I mean, I was always very familiar with the various different design packages. I'd always, I'd always loved writing stuff. And actually quite a lot of writing evolved in my architecture career because, you know, putting together planning packs for, you know, various different, um, applications for new build houses and all sorts of things. There was a lot of writing involved and you had to really argue a case. And those were the bits I really loved. So yeah, um that it it yeah, it sort of I, I did a little bit more of it with the chiropractors. Um I a lot of it was bits and pieces on the website, bits of blogs, bits of newsletters and that kind of thing. But again, I've been I was doing a lot of that for myself anyway. I was sending out kind of a newsletter as part of my recipe blog and so I was naturally sort of, I guess, pulling all the various different skills that I'd I'd built over time. And some of them were just kind of inherently within me to manifest in all sorts of different ways for, you know, you had to basically, I was trying to find ways to be as useful as possible to use all these different skill sets and actually apply them into a way that could, could be useful, but also bring some, bring some money in and, you know, actually have a bit of a, a title, whether it be marketing or whether it be coaching or, you know, recipe development, whatever it was, um, it was like, right, 
how can I pull these skills in and make it make it useful to other people? So I know, I know that's something you do now, but was there a moment when you went, I am going to put my focus on the health and wellness industry and help them learn to communicate better? I think that isn't it about polishing up their communication yeah I I think some of it came from the fact that I I would I'd go to festivals and um um other wellness kind of gatherings and things quite a lot and get chatting to other other practitioners and then I'd go often go away and then look at their website and so often I would see whether it be their logo or their or their page layouts with this really kind of like a florally font or whatever else. And I was like, gosh, that, that's, that's, that's barely legible or, you know, or comic sans dotted throughout. And I'm thinking, like, I know they're really good at what they do because I've, I've spoken to them. I've, I've, I've been in their presence. I, I, I know that they've got incredible skills to offer, but their website or their, their materials are just doing them a massive disservice. Mm-hmm. And that was like I, I I want to help these people to show up in the way that I have had this felt experience of because it's not coming across in what I'm now looking at and there felt like there was a real disconnect there between what I was looking at and the experience I had in the presence of these with this with these people um and again especially the clients I was working with initially you know weren't particularly tech savvy, you know, struggled with that kind of stuff because they were incredible Reiki masters or massage therapists or class teachers, but got so overwhelmed when it came to, you know, writing their copy or, or, or putting together a website or, and also I think another big thing as well was being able to communicate what they wanted to someone. So they, so there's a, there's a few people I've, I've worked with who we've had someone design their website, but this website designer didn't know anything they were like in two worlds this incredible um spiritual wellness practitioner and this sort of techie website designer and there was this huge gap where they just couldn't communicate so being part of both worlds I was like wow I can and I was able to sort of pull pull that out as such and then I realized I really enjoyed teasing some of the words out um having a conversation with someone I could almost see and hear the words drop out and think that's the title for a blog post or that's that that's that's the main the main title of this page on the website I could almost see things dropping out into the structure of website just from having a conversation so that was the bit I felt I could offer something really valuable to to really bridge that gap and pull their world into something that other people could could um you know engage with yeah I must say at this moment I almost wish this was a vlog not a blog because you're so if you could watch her her hands are everywhere <laughs> yeah I do this <laughs> see things coming through her fingers quite, you're quite vocal with your body <laughs> yeah I, I think I probably am like when I get into something because like, and I'm also kind of seeing it in my head because you're probably noticing I'm kind of looking off all sorts of places I'm not yeah. looking at the screen but it's because I'm sort of reliving <laughs> reliving <Yeah>. it <laughs> so I'm finding this really fascinating how you've stepped away from not not corporate but the proper job yeah yeah and within a few years this is all starting to come together but you Mm. also talked a lot back in the beginning about this imposter syndrome thing Mm. I'm curious about your journey with that so one of the things I remember noticing and again because I remember this being a conversation with my coach I was in a few different Facebook groups and I remember one of them being like a, a graphic design group or something like that and someone had posted in the group looking for a designer um and and I and I distinctly remember like resisting, you know, commenting on the thread or throwing my hat into the ring. And when I was kind of analyzing, well, why is that? Why am I holding back from actually saying, look, I could help you? I realized it was because I wasn't just a designer. So I had, you know, I've I've always been the sort of person that does a lot of different things I don't just do one thing so I'm never going to be a master of one thing I'll be pretty good at 10 things and I think that is where a lot of my imposter syndrome came from is that how can I possibly be and I've I've seen there was other people commenting on this thread and so the story I was creating in my head was how can I be as good as those people because they probably just do websites or just do graphic design and that's their that's their focus. Whereas because I've got the health coaching and the food photography and I've got my food business and then I do this design stuff. And because I've got all these things, 
how can I possibly be as good as this one thing? Because I must be diluting myself. So I must be like, you know, only half as good. The story I was creating was because I didn't just focus on one thing. I couldn't be as good as the other people that were offering their services. And I really found that challenging. I found it so challenging. And I, I would try and push the other things away and focus on one thing. But then I'd end up just sabotaging myself because I'd feel like I was shutting down parts of who I was by trying to focus on one of the streams of what I was doing. Um, and it never worked. So it was this weird battle of trying not to overwhelm myself by having all these all these interests and passions and things. But equally, when I did try and simplify and just focus on one thing, I would end up feeling unhappy because it's not my nature to have just be, you know, be a one, a one thing. And I think also a lot of the sort of the, the business gurus and the things I was reading and the the articles or the the things I was taking in, a lot of people at the time, and it's I, to be fair, it was probably typically men, were, you know, it was all focus on one thing, focus on one thing. And so I felt like I was failing myself because I could never focus on one thing. So it was this constant battle of feeling like I was, wasn't any good in business. I was never going to be an entrepreneur. I was always going to, you know, be sort of letting myself down or making life hard for myself because I was, I wasn't focusing on this one thing that seemed to be the only way to do business. Um, Yeah. But I think what's brought me out of the other side of that is, realizing that actually it's the interweaving of these various skills that actually make that that create that sweet spot so okay I might have these various things but the way they can be layered up and the way I can offer you know the design and the copywriting um the fact that I am personally involved in the wellness world so I so I kind of can see from the front end as a customer but also the back end as a designer that's a very powerful place to come from in, in terms of being able to, you know, create, create a product, create, you know, offer a service. And I've begun to see those things as, as, you know, very valid and actually not just discount, not just discount it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's been, it's been a really tough process and to give myself permission to be all of these things. Um, I love that you keep referring to the fact you have a coach. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a, literally had, I mean, they've, I've had two or three over, over the time, but since 2013, I've had, I've pretty consistently had a coach. There hasn't been many gaps. Yeah. And it's having someone sometimes to say, I feel all over the place. What am I doing? Or help. But just to have mm. someone else to be the mirror. Yeah. And sometimes just mirror back what I've said because words have come out of my mouth, but then when someone you know sometimes reframes it back to you or even sometimes directly says so what I've just heard you say is and it's like, oh my gosh I said that oh <laughs> and it's really powerful yeah I it is really powerful. Agree. It's like mm. having the expert but not the expert but a person to help you make sense of what you're experiencing yeah yeah and it's just it's a, it's a holding space there's an element of accountability there but sometimes it's just holding space to to for me to show up however I need to show up um I very rarely go into sessions knowing what I'm going to talk about or knowing what what it is exactly that I need to work on but it 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 becomes clear through just having a space to to share and unravel sometimes you know um I think the the reason I asked you about imposter syndrome is a you spoke about it in relation to being younger but b it's so common in women yeah I think mm-hmm. so, at least from my experience, the men. I know some men experience it, but I, I seem to hear most women have some degree of it going on. I, th- I think also there was quite a there was a big part of me that felt when I left the architecture industry, um, I was wasting my career. You know, like throwing away my training. You know, um, I felt like I had to really prove that I'd made the right decision that I hadn't just kind of you know thrown it all away you know what was I doing I was leaving and I didn't really have a clear thing as to what I was doing so I gave myself a really hard time I think for a long time partly consciously but also probably subconsciously to a large degree in terms of um, being allowed to do that and I set my expectations of myself were so high like like unachievably high probably 
And so therefore the imposter syndrome comes because I was never good enough. I was never good enough for those expectations that I'd put upon myself. And I'd put them upon myself because I was creating the story that other people were judging me. I've got no idea if they even were. But in my mind, they were judging me because of the decisions I've made. And I was that that was where I think a lot of it stemmed from. I was just setting the bar so incredibly high for myself that how was I ever going to reach it? Particularly when I had all these multiple passions. <laughs> yeah, completely. And um, I know you've also started doing some work with mental health charities. Mm. I'm curious how that came about and what made you go in that direction? Yeah, so there's a, I think there's a, a few reasons as to that came about. And it just, you know, it's, it's so sometimes those things when you when you put something out to the universe, things just sort of start falling into place. And that's happened a lot over the last few years. But so I was diagnosed with ADHD only at the beginning of 2020. Yeah, so just before the pandemic. Um, and that came about after uh, two or three years of, of realising oh gosh, you know, this is what I'm dealing with. Um, and then sort of going through the process of getting diagnosis. And so really digging into my own journey and and then looking back as to, you know, to, to, to realise, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense now in terms of my childhood and all this stuff. And I'd always liked writing. I'd always found a very cathartic place to get stuff out of my head, to process stuff. Um, and I think I... I so Poets Inn is the charity I, I run workshops for. And I think I met them at, I don't know, it was a, a wellness event of some kind when they were running a workshop there. Um, I spoke to one of the co-founders and we just got on so well. Um, he also has ADHD, which I don't I don't know if he'd have been diagnosed at the time with very, and various other things. Like the, the two co-founders have their own mental health stuff, which they are very open about. You know, it's a charity for mental health founded by people with mental health issues and pretty much everyone all of I'm a one of the project leaders we pretty much all have our own story and our own personal relationship with yeah. with our mental health journeys um so I really vibed with him and I really loved what he was doing and I was like right how can I become more involved originally it was just kind of as an ambassador I was going to write some blog posts for the website and that kind of thing and then I trained up to they were they were running a um like a training for people to be uh, run workshops because they see basically they were getting a lot of funding and there was no way that they the two of them could deliver all these workshops um but they were all in person workshops at the time and I was thinking about going traveling so I was like oh, I'm not quite sure you know how it's all going to work but let me let me do the training and then we'll figure it out so I did the training at the very in December 2019 and then obviously a few months later the world went online yeah so fascinating me then all of their workshops which had been in-person workshops suddenly all went online so I was like oh gosh I can deliver them now I'm, I'm here I'm ready um and they got a lot of funding um due for COVID to help support people um key workers and people struggling in the in the communities and all, all these various things so suddenly it was like boom there I was delivering these online workshops during the pandemic and um and then since then it's just carried on so it, and I'll tell you one of the things I've really enjoyed. It's, I think part of it is just there's an immediacy of how meaningful it is. You know, I'm working with small groups and it's, you know, it's a really beautiful thing and you can see people. Um, having the protection um, industry. Just, I like being part of a team. Oh, we've just lost that. I just missed what you said. Oh. So just say okay. it all again because the internet connection dropped. So oh, okay. You, you said I really enjoy working with small groups, and that was the last thing that came through clearly. So I, yeah, I really enjoy working with small groups, partly because seeing like it's so meaningful seeing those kind of people have aha moments in real time, working with people because I spent so much time on my own, and also realizing how much it means to be working with a team. I miss when I was in architecture. I like I'm a good team player, and when I was working for myself. I was very self-sabotaging and like, I didn't have a team to sort of bounce off and to be part of and to, you know, other people pleaser. I'm not very good at pleasing myself. I'm, I'm better at like pleasing other people. So being part of something ticked, it, it ticked boxes I didn't realize were missing. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been really nice. And also creating a little bit of structure because it's that ADHD has those classic things of it's 
like a life of contradictions. I rebel against structure, but I crave and need structure in order to kind of like keep me in order. Yeah. And one of the beautiful things about doing the workshops with Poets In is that they it's constantly varied because I'm constantly working with different people. So it, it never gets like monotonous. Mm-hmm. But they want they run at certain times and they're six week programs. So I know that I'm going to have this group of people for these six weeks. And it's just a really nice amount of structure. So that works really nicely as well. So yeah, that it just it just all sort of came about to be the the, the perfect timing. And then it was probably one of the silver linings from the pandemic, actually, the fact that everything did go online. It's interesting um, because I don't think of ADHD as a mental health problem. Mm. It's just something people have. Mm-hmm. But I've also had training in it because of my chiropractic. And I know that people on the spectrum, ADHD, ADD and everything, are more mm. prone to depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it does make sense that actually yeah. someone with ADHD is going to have either some experience or some understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. finding it really fascinating because I know the neurology and the science of this. Mm. You know the mm. practical experience. Mm. And just the you know the, the writing exercises because it's it's um I mean poets in it's, it's it's a creative mental health charity but a lot of it is through writing exercises that's kind of the 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 the, the channel um in a, in a way and that's always been my way you know my way of processing even when I was really young you know going back to my childhood years when I'd had days where I was just being this horrible child I'd often write little love notes to my mum and put them under a pillow apologizing for how horrible I was because I didn't always have the words to say say it I didn't I didn't I couldn't say my feelings out loud in the moment but I could write I could I could find them through writing Mm -hmm. and that's been probably a solid thing throughout my life I've always used writing as a way of processing and channeling and finding peace with something working navigating something whatever it is so that's why I personally love the work of poets in so much and I find I you know I personally resonate with it it's because it's like finding my way home to myself through writing and then being able to facilitate that with for other people is just you know so it is so rewarding yeah I know I love that mm. it sounds um it sounds like such a like you've pulled all different aspects of your life together to deliver something yeah yeah and yeah because it's like it's writing it's creativity it's 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 it I and I think also what I really like about it is the fact that it, it, everyone, everyone who's part of the charity, you know, embraces the fact that I live in my van and that I've, that I've got this alternative lifestyle. And I think in some ways, um, because it always comes up during the sessions, you know, when we write about the first, during the first session, we sort of, you know, through our writing, we kind of introduce ourselves to the group. So it always comes up that I'm in my van and you can just see people like, oh, wow. It's almost like a permission giving of, oh, there's someone else just, doing things a bit differently it's not as if someone else would want to go and live in a van but it's like okay I don't have to conform I don't have to play by the rules and often these are people who are struggling to play by the rules but in some ways probably still trying to like I did for so many years of my life so I like the fact that you know the way I'm choosing to do things in itself hopefully will just plant seeds in someone else's mind that there are other ways to live I have to ask you what made you do it and how has it been I think so I've long long wanted to have build a tiny house I love the whole tiny house movement I find minimalism uh again it's a bit of a contradiction I love creativity so I like having stuff to create with but stuff or like creates a lot of anxiety and overwhelm in, in me so having not much stuff and having actually a few things to play with makes me more creative so I've always wanted to build a tiny home and my dream was to build, convert a shipping container so again using a lot of my architectural skills but it's almost like phase one is the van so a few years ago now I thought about taking off in a van converting one but at the time I thought well I don't know if I want to do it on my own I don't know if I've got the courage to just do that on my own as a solo female you know how will it work where will I go and then um it was just at the back of my mind for a long, long time. And then during the pandemic, when my workload had dropped a little bit and, you know, I was kind of twiddling my thumbs and as a lot of people were, um, my, I think it was my mum who said, look, um, if, if you want, if you want to build a van and you, you, you know, you want some help in terms of funding it because 
had to buy the van and kit it out. And I didn't necessarily have those funds at that time. She was like, look, I'm happy to lend you some money. And I was like, do you know what? This, this is, this is the time. And also I'd been living at my dad's house. Um, I was on my own. I didn't have a place of my own. I was kind of, I was planning on doing quite a lot of traveling, obviously pandemic. My dad was planning on moving house and I was like, where, where am I going to live? You know, where am I going to be? What, where's going to be my base? I need to, to create something for myself. And the, the, the reality the realization came to me was that all my work was pretty much online by that point anyway and there was no one place I needed to be and there was nowhere I no one place I wanted to be so it's like well why would I be in one place you know I didn't want to rent a room with someone like none of those normal ways of living felt I didn't feel drawn to any of them and I thought well, actually what if I just do the whole nomadic thing um and then yeah then my mom said well look I'm happy to like help you help you out with with the funding side of it and it's like boom okay let's build a van during lockdown um and it's been such a huge adjustment it's been and a a huge part of my own personal journey like it, it in ways I could never anticipated it was I think it started from a let's just see where this goes kind of curiosity a bit playful a bit fun I've got a project to work on kind of thing and um and now and so I finished it last June and it's only really probably been this year that I've been properly traveling and I found my groove. It last year was a bit stop start. I had a few mechanical issues and various things, but I've really found my groove this year. And it's like, yeah, it's like a new season of my life has opened up. And just again, this whole journey of giving myself permission to live life on my own terms has really started, you know, fully showing up. Um, but the connections I'm making with people, you know, the people you find along your way when you're traveling, um, I feel as though everyone I've met, there's no small talk. You go straight in for the deep talk because you might only see them for a couple of days and then you may never see them again because your life's kind of, they comes together and then you kind of move on. And there's a real beauty in that. There's nothing's held back. There's no masks. There's no, you just show up as, as who you are and I'm really enjoying finding myself in that process, especially as I'm connecting with other people. Um, and it's, yeah, like, but to answer your question, that that was wise because I, the curiosity and I didn't need to be in one place. So therefore, why would I? Um, you know, I don't have, I don't have a partner. I don't have kids. I don't have, there's literally nothing, nothing that would put me in one one place so it just seemed crazy to put myself in one place <laughs> like I don't know it just it suddenly became so obvious to build a van and that, that might not seem an obvious thing to do but it there was nothing nothing that was pulling me to be in a house to be in a fixed you know fixed place um yeah but what's actually been quite interesting about the journey is that I I say I'm full-time on the road and part-time in the van because I do quite a lot of house sitting now um, and that's come up probably since the end of last year. I started doing quite a few house sits. So now that creates some structure. So at the moment I'm in a house sit and then I'll be on the road a bit again. I'll be in a house sit for a couple of weeks. So it's probably around about between 30 and 50% of my time house sitting and then in between times I'm traveling. So it creates that kind of perfect balance because I have a little bit of time to ground myself when I'm in a house sit for, you know, be a week or two weeks in a, in, in one place. And then that kind of replenishes me to go off traveling again and um, with the, all the kind of the untetheredness of, of traveling. So, and the, and the house sits are paid. So that's now become another source of income, which offsets my travel expenses. So it's just evolved in so, so many beautiful ways. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. I like that. I like, I like the lack of planning with the planning, the structure, yeah. like the structure that has been that has been the thing that when I, I often say to people it's taken me a little while to find my rhythm on the road and that is exactly what it is it's like when you've got the ultimate freedom you you also it's also the ultimate uncertainty you you, you can't you know if you crave freedom you have to be willing to brace this uncertainty because you you kind of have one without the other and so I think what I'm what I'm slowly creating is these pockets of certainty and pockets of structure with these house sits and then in between it's very untethered but that's okay because it's because I know I've got these kind of tethered anchor points dotted through the year that actually it doesn't matter how 
uncertain everything is in between because I can kind of wing it because I kind of know where, okay, in a few weeks time, I'm over here. So it's a really interesting balance of structure and freedom. And yeah, it's, and it's so far seems to be working, working quite nicely. I feel like I've found that blend, found that flow. Yeah. Joe, I have so enjoyed your <laughs> I kind of feel like I should plan to interview in about you, you again in about 10 years. <laughs> I do. It's just so funny. Like, even in a year, I yeah, mean, I'll, I know. You know, I'll be, the whole thing is like, who knows who I'll be in a year, yeah. you know, or whatever, 10 years. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's been just really, really a real pleasure. I'm so glad I heard you speak and it planted mm. that little seed. And I was like, ooh, I mm. need to watch this lady. <laughs> so if anybody out there, is looking for a house sitter or mm. wants to connect with you because they want some design work or just wants to connect with you yeah fun? yeah oh, there's a few different ways so so the place I tend to hang out day to day is my van life Instagram account so it's not specifically a work account but it is the place where people can find me for anything they might want to chat to me about and that's joe.vanlife um and that's got links to my my more work related Instagram account um create wellbeing limited dot com is my my sort of main design website but actually my van life account is the place where people can get to they get to hang out with me like uh-huh. me ultimately and then anything else can spin off there I guess so yeah that's what I would say joe.vanlife on Instagram I will make sure all your contacts show <laughs> yeah. notes because I know there are people out there who are going to be yeah. so fascinated to hear more about your van life so thank <laughs> you so much for taking the time you're welcome it's and, um, been yeah pleasure. it's been it's been fun like, all my hands have been like moving like crazy the whole time it's been great. <laughs> thank you I really hope you're enjoying and masking the feminine as much as I am I'd love it if you could share this with friends family anyone you think who may be inspired by these amazing women and if you love it leave me a review because that helps me reach other people. I've also got a Facebook community and if you want to sign up on that, click below in the notes. Thank you so much for being part of my journey.